reading of Scripture this morning comes from Gospel of John, chapter 21. That is found on page 907 of the Pew Bible. I invite you to open the Pew Bible or one of your own Bibles to follow along in the reading of God's Word. Let us ask the blessing of His grace. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You for the truth of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And we pray now that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we would see the Lord Jesus in our very midst. We pray, O Lord, that You would speak to us Your Word through the Scripture. Open our minds, open our hearts, give us spiritual insight, wisdom, and understanding so that we might draw near to you in faith and follow you with joy. To the glory of your name, amen. John chapter 21, let us hear the word of God. After this, that is, after Jesus' other appearances to the apostles, after his resurrection from the dead, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, Do you love me? He said to him, 
Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This is a really beautiful passage of scripture. And it speaks to us beautifully of the way in which Jesus is with us and with us always to empower us and to enable us to fulfill the mission that he has given to us. It speaks to us beautifully of the reality that Jesus is with us always with wonderful kindness and true friendship. And it speaks to us beautifully in a marvelous way of Jesus' compassion and the assurance of forgiveness. It shows us in these, in these three ways, mission with Jesus, fellowship with Jesus, and forgiveness with Jesus. It shows us in these three ways just what a good friend Jesus Christ really is. This passage recounts another one of Jesus' appearance to his disciples after his resurrection. The disciples were in Galilee waiting for Jesus. And once again, it was Peter who took the lead. He's the one who said, I'm going fishing. And the other said, we'll go with you. Now, John tells it in such a way as to make it seem that the disciples went fishing just because they didn't have much else to do or because they didn't know what they were supposed to be doing during these days after Jesus' resurrection. It may be even somewhat of a sad or poignant picture at this point. The disciples are still puzzled by Jesus' resurrection. They don't know quite what to make of it. They have not yet received the promised power of the Holy Spirit, and so they have not yet begun their mission in the world. They are somewhat at a loss, it seems, with nothing to do. So what do they do? They do what they've always done. They go fishing. And as providence would have it for these poor guys, they fished all night and caught nothing. Now, that sounds like the same old song Second or third verse. And the point is pretty clear. Jesus had told them, hadn't he, on the night of the Last Supper, apart from me, you can do nothing. Well, in this case, it was a matter of, apart from me, you can catch. Thank you. Catch. Nothing. And that really was the point. So hold that thought. We'll come back to it. Now, early on the, in the morning, and that should ring a bell with us, early in the morning, 
Jesus stood on the shore. We can imagine that it was barely light. Perhaps there was a morning mist on the water. The disciples didn't recognize Jesus. And he called out to them, boys, literally the Greek says, children, do you have any fish? Actually, the way the Greek sentence is structured, the force of the sentence is this. You don't have any fish, do you? No. Well, then throw your net over on the right side of the boat and you'll catch some. Now, remember, at this point, they don't know that it's Jesus. So perhaps just to be a good sport or or perhaps they thought that the stranger had seen fish schooling up on the surface of the right side of the boat. Maybe the light had just hit the water and that stranger on the shore could see the fish. So they, they threw their net. And sure enough, there were so many fish that they could hardly haul in the net. And so you can imagine the scene. They fished all night, which was the custom in those days. Now at the break of, the day, at break of day, they throw the net. They, they've got this school of fish, so many they can't hardly haul it in. So you can imagine the surprise, the scrambling around, trying to get a good grip on the net. All of a sudden, the shouts of excitement. And in the midst of all that commotion that's going on in the boat, suddenly the light goes on in the mind of one of the disciples. The light dawns. And John tells us that the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. Now, that phrase, that disciple whom Jesus loved, that's most likely John's reference to himself. That's most likely John's way of saying, again, I was there. I saw it. Now, When he refers to himself as that disciple whom Jesus loved, it's not an arrogant or self-serving description which John gave to himself. It doesn't mean that Jesus didn't love the other disciples. I mean, after all, when we sing, Jesus loves me, this I know, we're not singing anything special about ourselves, are we? We're not bragging about ourselves. And we certainly don't mean to imply that he doesn't love anybody else, right? No. We're just celebrating the fact that we know that Jesus loves us. And that's the point here. This is John's personal testimony. This is simply the fingerprint of his own personal experience. He knew that he was loved by Jesus. This was John's way of saying, for our benefit, for our encouragement, I know this one about whom I write. And I felt his love for me personally. It's a personal testimony, personal fingerprint, personal experience of the love of Christ. And John also evidently had this this very sensitive and intuitive relationship with Jesus. He wasn't as hard-headed as Peter. He wasn't as skeptical as Thomas. John knew that the stranger on the shore was Jesus. He knew that the stranger on the shore was revealing himself as the Lord of all creation. 
the Lord of the great net of salvation. John knew that the real fisherman was not in the boat on the water. The real fisherman was standing on the shore. And when Peter heard John say, it is the Lord, he, he wrapped himself up in his cloak, jumped in the water, and, and really, if you imagine it, it looks rather humorous, I think. Because here we go again, here's Peter, again, as impulsive as ever. I don't know how deep the water was, but why didn't Peter just wait till he got to shore before he put his clothes on? But he, he wraps himself up, then he throws himself in the water, he starts swimming to shore, leaving the other disciples back there to, to, to manage this net full of fish, which is... So big they can hardly deal with it. But they continued to haul in the net as Peter swam ahead, raced to the shore. But then when they got to shore, they discovered there was already a charcoal fire with fish on it. Where did those fish come from? The stranger on the shore, the Lord of creation, the real fisherman. Provided the fish for them. For those poor fishermen who had not been able to catch anything themselves. But it wasn't simply that Jesus provided for them. He also invited them. To bring what they had caught. To add their catch to what he had provided. Now of course the reality was that they had caught those fish only only because he had told them where to cast the net. Which is to say, they had caught those fish only, only by the power and the wisdom of his word. He is the one who enabled them to catch those fish. He's the one who made it happen. It wouldn't have happened without him. But yet he's gracious enough to say, bring some of the fish that you have caught. That was Jesus' way of saying that though he is the real fisherman, he nevertheless includes us in the fishing work that needs to be done on earth. To say it another way, although he and he alone is the one who does the catching, he calls us to do the fishing, to cast the net, and to haul in the great catch for his kingdom. Now, people, uh, Peter helped the others bring the net to shore, and John tells us that there were 153 fish. There are a variety of interpretations of that number, 153, that have to do with Jewish numerology and number symbolism. And some of the theories are quite interesting, but none of them are really very convincing. And I think, really, 153 fish... I think this is another eyewitness detail. I think John is telling us, I was there. We counted the fish. There were 153 of them. And they were big fish, by the way. Another personal fingerprint of eyewitness authenticity. And there is, though, also with that eyewitness detail, there is a symbolic or spiritual application. 153 was a huge catch. And it illustrates the fact that with Jesus' guidance, in obedience to his word, by his power, 
the apostles would indeed be fishers of men, just as he had called them at the very beginning. And the net of the gospel would result in a great catch of salvation. And John tells us that even with so many fish, the net was torn The net did not break, which means that the gospel net will never be broken. The net of the gospel is sufficient, large enough, strong enough to save all in its toe. Jesus said, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. The net of the gospel is strong enough to save an innumerable multitude of every tribe. Every nation and the greatest of sinners. This was a great teaching moment for the disciples. They learned from this experience of fishing all night but catching nothing that what Jesus said was really true. Apart from me, you can do nothing. But they also learned that by the power of Jesus' word and in obedience to Jesus' word, they would be able to fulfill their mission to cast the net of the gospel all over the world and make a great catch of salvation. This was Jesus' way of showing them that just as he said, he would be with them. He would empower them. He would guide and direct them. He would bless their faithful obedience. Now, the same is true for us today. All our efforts as a congregation will amount to nothing if we are simply acting according to our own wisdom, our own ideas, and with our own strength and resources. We can do nothing without Jesus. But if we obey his word, if we truly cast the net of the gospel, he will accomplish marvelous things for the sake of his kingdom, even through us. Here and now. That's his calling upon us. That's his promise to us. But now, simply reflect for a moment on this scene of Jesus on the shore, welcoming the disciples, inviting them to join him for breakfast on the beach. Come and have breakfast. He prepared the fire. He provided the fish. He invited them. Just just picture this in your mind's eye. Here is the risen Lord of heaven and earth. Here is the Son of God incarnate, risen from the dead. Now, as a very unassuming, humble, friendly, hospitable person, even with a playful spirit, appearing to the disciples and saying to them, come and eat. How would you see yourself in that scene? Could you believe that Jesus would really invite you to come and have breakfast with him? Do you really believe that his graciousness and mercy toward you is such that he would happily, happily be your host? That he would seek your fellowship and invite you to breakfast around the fire. Certainly, isn't this what John wants us to believe? Isn't this surely part of what this account means for us? Surely this scene is an invitation to us, each one of us, to come. 
come to Jesus. Share in fellowship with him. Come and have breakfast. He's a gracious host and a good friend. Fellowship with Jesus, the risen Lord, is one of the great benefits of the resurrection. Because he lives, we may live in fellowship with him. Because he bore our sins in his body on the tree. Because his blood cleanses us from all our unrighteousness. Because he pours out his spirit upon all who receive him. We may live in his fellowship. We may live in the company of his friendship. Assured of his presence with us. Well, what does that look like? How do we have breakfast with Jesus? What is fellowship with him? It is a fellowship of prayer, of drawing near to him in faith. Opening our hearts and our minds to him, inviting his presence into our life. It is the fellowship of meditation upon his word, reading, studying, digesting the scriptures with our ears open spiritually so that we may hear his voice speaking to us in the words of scripture. It is the fellowship of the Lord's Supper received in faith. It is fellowship with one another, extending the love and care of Christ to one another. But in all these ways and more, the underlying condition is that we come to Jesus Christ in faith. With faith in him as the son of God, with faith in his goodness, with faith in his kindness, gentleness and mercy. Just think of what it means. Just think of the comfort that comes from knowing that Jesus actually welcomes us into his presence as our gracious host and as our friend who says, come and have breakfast. The reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead means that though we cannot see him, he is with us. If by the grace of the Holy Spirit, we will open the eyes of our hearts. And see him with us every day. And then this passage goes further. This is another little scene, a sub scene that follows. Displaying the wonders of our Lord and his kindness and his mercy and love. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than these other disciples love me? It was a painful question. But but this scene presents us with one of the most beautiful pictures of forgiveness and restoration. Three times Jesus asked Peter, Simon, do you love me? Three times Peter replied, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And this this dialogue, though painful, was a healing moment for Peter. It was Jesus's way of allowing Peter to express his love for Jesus in the presence of the other disciples around that charcoal fire in a way that would counterbalance the three times that Peter had denied Jesus while standing by the fire in the courtyard of the high priest. 
on the night when Jesus was arrested. Three times, you remember, Peter had denied Jesus. Now on the shore, around the fire, Jesus led Peter through this painful but healing, restorative process. Now, Jesus is not rubbing Peter's nose in it. He's giving Peter the opportunity to work back, to work back through his threefold failure and his threefold shame in the assurance of Jesus' love and forgiveness so that Peter would be secure in his restored relationship with Jesus and all of the other disciples, and this is very important, watch this, All of the other disciples, you see, they saw what was happening. And they understood that Peter was forgiven and restored. They saw and heard Jesus restore the fallen Peter. And never again, never again, never again were they ever to say anything about Peter's failure and shame. Never again was it to be held up in front of him. Never again was it to be held against him. Never again was it to to undermine their love and respect for him as a brother and as a leader among the apostles. They saw Jesus restore him. And when Jesus forgives, all is forgiven. And when Jesus puts it behind him, it's put behind him forever. No one is to deny or minimize the forgiveness that Christ offers and declares. So you see here in this beautiful passage, we see three of the wonderful blessings that come to us through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. First, The promise that he is with us to help us and enable us and empower us to fulfill the mission that he has given to us. To be fishers of men, to cast the net of the gospel and to make a great catch. Secondly, that he is with us. As our gracious friend who provides for us and sustains us and warms us with the fire of his fellowship. And thirdly. We are assured of the blessing of forgiveness. That Jesus' death was completely effective in atoning for our sins. Death could not hold him because the cause of death, sin, had been made null and void. And sin has no more claim on those who trust in Christ. Because Christ has paid the full debt of our sins. And Christ has broken the death-dealing power of sin. And so through faith in Him, with gratitude for what He has done, we can be sure that Jesus meets us and greets us in peace, in friendship, in forgiveness, 
not holding our trespasses against us. If you ever wonder whether you can really be forgiven for all of your sins, if you ever wonder whether Jesus really has forgiven you and you and no longer holds your sins against you, just look at this beautiful scene of Jesus and Peter. Look at the way in which Jesus treats Peter with gentleness and wisdom and love. To all those who are truly sorry for their sins, to all those who feel the pain and shame of their sins, to all who truly seek mercy and grace and forgiveness from Jesus Christ, to all who want to live in a way that shows love for Him, for all who want to be included in the fellowship of faith with the Lord and His people, there is always the promise of forgiveness, acceptance, healing, restoration of soul, and life everlasting. The resurrection of Jesus Christ declares this good news, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ guarantees it. Come to breakfast. Come to the fellowship of the fire. Come. To Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Our gracious Lord, we thank you for the word of the gospel, the word of truth, the word of life, the word of healing, the word of power. We pray that your Holy Spirit will apply your word to our hearts and our minds and help us to live more faithfully as those who follow him who died and was raised and lives forever. To the glory of your name, amen.